This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 36. As we made our way out of town a couple of weeks ago, we drove from our home all the way to Copper Mountain, Colorado in one fail swoop. The sun had already set by the time that we lugged into our destination. As we drove the final half hour in the pitch black dark. Uh, Even though all, all we could see on that last stretch of road was darkness, we'd been there multiple times before and we knew that all around us stood the majesty of the mountains and the wonder of wildlife and beauty that adorns the entire area around um, I-70. It's not quite as beautiful as North Texas, but it's close. (laughs) So we made our way to the room and collapsed. And do you know this collapse? It's a simultaneous feeling of accomplishment and exhaustion, right? You know this from traveling? Well, we woke up the next morning to this beautiful day, cloudless day, walked out on the back patio and breathed in the 45-degree morning air. Doesn't that sound good on a day like today? Um, So we piled back in the car and head to our first adventure. Our directions took us right back down the road we had driven the night before in the dark, a section of road where every mile seems more beautiful than the next, Stunning mountains stretching into the heavens, uh, valleys carved by God's divine care, teeming rivers filled with life. And we saw them all around that morning. We were surrounded by beauty. So what was the difference in those two drives? One was at night, the other was in the day. We went through the same road, saw the same scenery, through the same scenery, But the difference was one of contrast, darkness, and light. It is quite possible for two people to walk the same path, yet have incredibly different experiences in their journey. You see, for some who travel this world, the darkness of sin and the shadows of self completely blind them to the goodness and salvation of God. Their spiritual lives are an eternal night that will never greet sunrise. Yet for others, the white-hot noonday sun of God's revelation has opened our eyes and fills our world with brightness and color, with truth and warmth, with beauty and life. And we have seen the most brilliant and beautiful sight that the eyes of faith can behold. The glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what we've seen. My question to get us thinking together this morning is this. Is your life darkened by sin or filled with the light of God's loving kindness? Is your life darkened by sin or filled with the light of God's loving kindness. The road of Psalm 36 is one of remarkable contrast, leading us through the pitch black night of sin 
and then into the midday light of God's loving kindness. Perhaps no other highway of the Psalms covers so much ground in such little space. Along the way in this song of devotion, we witness a heart darkened, the wickedness of those who reject their maker. We also behold the characteristics of the righteous God who loves and protects and provides for his covenant people and are even met with this faith-filled prayer by the end. So my prayer is that we might experience God in his word this morning. And there would be a result of that, having experienced him in his word, that we might together flee the darkness of sin like never before. That our eyes would be open to these heart-transforming truths of who our God is. And that we might walk in the light and life of God's steadfast love. We're going to make three stops along the way. First, the darkened heart of sin. Second, we'll notice the bright light of loving kindness. And finally, come to our steadfast hope in God's steadfast love. So, there's our course. Would you stand your feet once more as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word? Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. In our first section, the psalmist leads us through the darkened heart of sin, verses 1 through 4. Now, when our kids were smaller, we visited the inner space cavern down in Georgetown. And they were having a great time walking through these ancient caverns, that is, Until at one point along the tour, deep in the belly of the cave, the guide turned off her light, leaving us fumbling in the dark, knowing which way was up. Caden Boswell screamed like a girl. (laughs) These opening four verses are a tour deep 
into a life so darkened by sin, it has left them fumbling in the dark to know which way is up. Verse 1 takes our exploration all the way down to the bleakest place of the sinner's life. A heart. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Like the serpent who hissed that first lie, transgression is personified and speaks to the heart of the sinner. It's no accident this psalm begins here because the heart is the underground spring of all sin. It begins with the heart. Notice next the eyes. The diagnosis of the sinner's eyes that he sees nothing the way that he should. When he looks toward God, there's this massive piece missing. There's no fear of God in his eyes. No reverence. No care at all for his maker. And then when he looks at himself, it's only with flattery. And this flattery is like a carnival mirror. It distorts his reflection. It morphs the way things really are. He's not able to see the offensiveness of his sin or the desperate need of forgiveness that he has. You know, sin always flatters us. Sin always lies to us. And sin always convinces us how great we are, even better than God. That was the first temptation, right? And there are many ways in which sinners flatter themselves. Jonathan Edwards explained, some flatter themselves with a secret hope there's no such thing as another world. Maybe this life is all there is, so eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, this is all we've got. Some flatter themselves that death is still a long way off. I've got plenty of time to change my mind along the way. Some flatter themselves that they lead moral and orderly lives, so there's no way they could be damned. Look at all the good things that I've done. Surely I won't be punished for my sin. Some some sinners, perhaps this is the way that we flatter one another in American evangelicalism more than any other, This is Jonathan Edwards writing hundreds of years ago. Some sinners flatter themselves that they are already converted. The sinner's eyes are filled with no fear of God and flattery toward self. Uh, Verse 3 moves on to help us discover his words. The words of his mouth are trouble and Deceit. These troubling words are seeds sown in the lives of people around him which aim to injure them, to tear them down, to plant weeds instead of fruit. Deceit describes a tongue that is quick to lie to anyone. This wicked person would lie even to the people closest to him just for the sake of lying. This is an example of the words of Christ in Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Finally, in this gloomy description, we come to the sinner's actions. By the time we reach verse 3, it's become apparent that the wicked person being described is completely dedicated to wickedness. This phrase sends chills up my spine. He's ceased to act wisely and do good. Why is that chilling? Because that word ceased means he used to do these things. Maybe when they were younger. Maybe at some part of life they did walk in wisdom and did good. But now he can't tell right from wrong. 
And however, now, every time he sins, he's making himself less capable of realizing what sin is. Less likely to realize that he is a sinner. For the ugly thing, the really diabolical thing about sin is that it perverts our judgment. It stops us from seeing things straight. And notice the Bible doesn't call these just mistakes or struggles. These are sins. A sin is when we have broken God's law or command in thought or word or deed for what we have done or left undone. And even as he goes to lay his head down at night, he doesn't stop dreaming up ways to make himself the center of the world, inventing ways to rebel against his maker. So here's been our journey from the heart to the eyes, to the mouth, and the actions. There's this progression of wickedness. This is spiritual death from the inside out. I I realize that this scene depicted here is uncomfortable. Some of you are not even in Christ, and you did your very best to show up at church today, and here you are facing what the Bible calls sin. This is actually the best thing for you right now. I don't want us to look away too quickly without learning from what we see. Uh, The Psalms is a book of wisdom, and it is meant to make us wise for us to understand the dark condition of sin. We learn in Scripture how deadly sin is. So students, boys, girls, men, women, moms, dads, grandpa, grandma, We cannot wink at sin. We must fight it and run from it and kill it. It's not something we can shrug off. We've got to take this seriously. Are you today living in the darkness of sin? And I think for those of us in Christ, it is a gentle reminder of who we were before Christ, right? We're going to look at this a little later of how Paul uses these verses, but this was all of our story from birth, a people blind by our sin. But praise the Lord, he has opened our eyes so that we see clearly who God is, so we see clearly who we are, how dark our hearts were. And it's not that they were bad, they were dead, and they needed to be made alive, and only Jesus can do that. That's exactly what God has done for us in Christ. So before we turn the page, just what lessons do you have to learn here from these four verses that show us the darkened heart of sin? The second section of our psalm, I mean, there, I don't know if there's a greater juxtaposition of themes anywhere else in the Bible. The second section of our psalm breaks through the dark like the first beam of a long-awaited morning. If you feel right now at the end of verse 4 like, oh my goodness, there's no way out of this. There's a way out. Morning has come. Here, see the bright light of God's loving kindness in verses 5 through 9. The poetry that David uses in these verses soars to the heights of the heavens and plunges the depths of the sea. He uses every ounce of his ability to describe the glory and majesty of his God. Those shadowy Um, verbs of sin in verses 1 through 4 
are chased away by the light of who God is in verses 5 and 6. And there are five attributes of God that shine from this text. But I don't want to just look at them. I want these attributes to warm our hearts with worship and wonder. And only the Holy Spirit can do that work. So, Holy Spirit, do that work in us. Let's look at these attributes of God. And and I want us to just see how in our own lives we've known these to be true. There's nothing new here. This is familiar territory. But it's like they're always new. First, his loving kindness. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. The phrase steadfast love resounds through this psalm. We find it in verse 5. It's repeated in verse 7. David can't stop singing about it in verse 10. Steadfast love, steadfast love, steadfast love. The Hebrew word chesed is not new to us. It's used often to describe God's covenantal love to his people. I love how the King James Version translated this word. It was with one of my favorite words in the English language. Loving kindness. Loving kindness. So think about Psalm 1 where first David presents the way of the wicked and then contrasts it with the way of the righteous. Here, these are just um, flipped. He's showing the darkness of, the, of wickedness and then elevating straight to who God is and what he's like. And the place that he starts, the fountainhead of all these other attributes, starts with his loving kindness. David, it's like he takes the black velvet cloth of sin and then places the brilliant diamond of God's loving kindness for his people right there in our view. His Loving kindness to you, to me. Next, let's think of his faithfulness. David compares God's faithfulness to the heights of the clouds which no one else can reach. Faithfulness takes into consideration God's words and promises. His unwavering commitment to fulfill every word and keep every promise. Charles Spurgeon wrote, He never fails, never forgets, nor falters, nor forfeits his word to every word of threat or promise, prophecy or covenant. The Lord has exactly adhered, for he is not a man that he should lie. Our God is the God of perfect, enduring faithfulness. Everything that he has said he will do. But there's more. His righteousness. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Now, the righteousness of God is the demonstration of his holiness. It's a a pronouncement of who he is. And how strong is his righteousness? As strong as a mountain. How unmoving is his righteousness? As strong as a mountain. So solid you can build your life on it righteousness he is right in everything that he does next we see his judgments your your translation might say justice and that's fine too the ESV says your judgments are like the great deep and what this means is that the sovereign plans and purposes of God are beyond tracing 
They don't make sense to us. It's not like a map. You can get from here to there and see how it all worked. No, his plans are deeper than that. I think of William Cooper's amazing hymn that says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea. You can't follow them. You can't see them. And he rides upon the storm. Just for a moment, just consider there's not a storm that you've endured that God wasn't sovereign over and with you in. And you might not have seen how you made it through, but here you are. In the last few weeks, I've had the opportunity to stand on a couple of different beaches and hear the glory of waves crash upon the shore. And I looked as far as I could into the ocean with no end in sight. And it's just more than you can take in. You can't measure it or weigh it. And this is how it is with the judgments of God, David says. I think there's one more attribute of God tucked into this passage. I couldn't find any scholars that agreed with me, so pay close attention. (laughs) This attribute is his salvation. And I see it right there at the end of verse 6. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. (laughs) I think this is the amazing crescendo of all of this. The demonstration of his loving kindness and his faithfulness and his righteousness is in how he saves. Um, when the Psalms use, use this word, it almost always has the idea of saving, of delivering, and how wonderful it is that, the, that our God is the definition of loving kindness, and faithfulness, and righteousness, and judgment. That's the God of our salvation. Isn't that wonderful? It's so wonderful, in fact. Not only does this psalm sing of who our God is and what he's like, verses 7 through 9 bring these doctrines so close to our hearts, showing the covenantal commitment that our God has to us as his people. Um, There are three blessings mentioned here that flow from God's steadfast love, his loving kindness toward us. The psalmist sings of how his relationship with God includes, in verse 7, protection. And the metaphor used for how God protects his people is familiar to us now. We first met it in our study of the book of Ruth, where Ruth asked Boaz to spread his wings over her in loving protection. We read in Matthew 23, 37, how the Lord Jesus said, I long to take the city of Jerusalem, meaning the people of God, under his wings in love and protection. and This image points us to the protection that a bird gives its young as she brings them close from danger and shields them with her maternal wing. And hasn't the Lord been your protection throughout all of your life? Hasn't he spread his wings over your life? The second blessing is provision. Verse 8. This scene reminds me of the Shire, where a bunch of little hobbits are rejoicing and feasting together. If you're not a nerd, that won't mean anything to you, but (laughs) the feasting that we see here on the abundance of God is remarkable. 
They feast on the abundance of your house. And that's actually can be translated your sanctuary, the father's home. Like the prodigal son was welcomed home from his sin-stricken journey, only to be met with a feast in the house of his father. We have been provided for by our good and loving Father. And notice there's nothing lacking in the provision of God. He eats and he drinks. The drink he provides is from his river of delights, meaning that God is the source and the supply of delight and joy and happiness and satisfaction. As a matter of fact, the word that David uses for delights is the word Eden in the plural form. No doubt meant to make us think of God's provision for his people from the very start. And haven't you known God's provision from the very start of your life? And haven't you known his provision even in the darkest of seasons and nights? Can't you trace this morning how the Lord's loving kindness has provided you? everything that you've needed. And then the final blessing is, is presence. And the, the references to the Lord's house and to Eden and the way that God satisfies his people all point to his nearness, his fatherly care, his love that is near, him communing with his people as their God. There are wonderful blessings that flow from who our God is. We want to first lift our eyes to see him to the bright light of his loving kindness and then trace together all of the blessings that are now ours in Christ. The rhythm of Psalm 36 is not set to the cadence of sin, but the heartbeat of our Father toward his people. Darkness is not the final word here. It is the light of God, and in his light we see light. I think the only right response to this section is to just delight in the light of God's word and to delight together in him, to pile up these truths one on top of the other and just rejoice in them until they light a fire of gratitude in our hearts. We're not driving through this world darkened by sin because of Christ. Our eyes have been opened. We were once blind, but now we see the loving kindness of God that explodes through the heavens. He loves you to the moon and back. We know the faithfulness of God that goes beyond the clouds. It goes higher than your circumstances. We know the righteousness of God that's like a mountain that we build our lives on. We know and trust the judgments of God, which though they are as mysterious to us, we trust in. These things we've come to see by God's grace. They are still higher and lower and deeper and wider than our strongest intellect. And so we say with Paul, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. (laughs) It's unsearchable. It's unsearchable. It's not unknowable. It's knowable. But we'll never know the depth of them or the height of them or the length of them or the breadth of them. That's what makes him God. 
So let's just delight in the bright light of loving kindness this morning and trace how the protection and provision and presence of God have gone before us, how they've been with us, how they hem us in before and behind. Beloved is one of your names. If you're in Jesus, this is the word the Bible uses over and over again. You are his beloved. It's unbelievable. These final verses um, leave us meditating on our steadfast hope in God's steadfast love. There's a prayer that begins in verse 10, and it is deep trust in the Lord's unchanging goodness that is the basis for this prayer. (laughs) The final words of this song don't give us the comfort of standing at a distance when it comes to such a personal subject as the love of God. No, David draws us even nearer, closer in prayer. He prays for himself, and guys, he prays for you right here. He prays that you would know God's unfailing, never giving up, never changing, always and forever love, the covenant love of God. He prays, oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you. This this prayer is that the covenant love of God would be actively and intentionally directed toward all who know him, protecting them from wickedness. And I think there's probably a scope of external threat, we'll see that in just a moment, and also internal sin. That the steadfast love of God would protect us from sin. The petition in verse 11 is that God wouldn't allow the foot of the arrogant to come upon him or the hand of the wicked to drive him away. Who does he have in mind? Well, the people he was describing in verses 1 through 4. Those who have no fear of God, and so they tyrannize and come against his people. The final lyrics of the song are just so full of confidence, the kind of confidence of a heart that's at peace with God. The kind of confidence of a, of a person who has looked and seen inwardly the darkness of their own sin, but who the light of God's purifying love has made them clean. The final verse sings as if the victory is already won. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. And the song ends. What I want us to think of for just a moment is when the light breaks. There's that minute of every night where the night is over. When the first ray of the sunlight chases the darkness away. And spiritually, Scripture teaches us that we are born trapped in the darkness of our sin until the light of Christ shines upon us. That's how you're born. 
utter darkness. When the Apostle Paul went to explain the sinful condition of all people before God, he does this in Romans chapter 3.18. And what he does when he wants to explain that is he quotes Psalm 36.1. There's no fear of God in their eyes. What Paul was teaching is that all people would fall in this category of being those who would say in their hearts, there's no God. But it's not where Paul leaves things. Uh, the, next, the rest of the book from the re- chapter 3 verse 21 all the way to 1136 is him shining the light on Christ. Paul goes on to describe there's only one way to be righteous. And it's not through anything that we can do but through Christ alone who can make us righteous. And so I just want to say, perhaps you feel today that the light of God's word has exposed you. The the first section of this text is incredibly heavy. It is incredibly searching, and maybe the light of your sin was exposed. You saw for the first time, not just that you're a person who's messed up, but that you're a person who has sinned against a holy God. And that is really unsettling. It is meant to be. We use this word gospel. And it is a beautiful word. And it just means good news. And so if today you feel the searching light of God shining into your darkness, my encouragement to you is don't run from it, but run to it. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, this is good news. This is the gospel. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the only way to be made right with God, is for the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from sin. If we say we have no sin, like the person we read about, We deceive ourselves like the person we read about. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and here's the good news. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so if your darkened eyes have seen the light of day today, Repent of your sin and run to the light that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who came into the eternal night of our sin so that we might know the eternal day of his salvation. Jesus is the one who has taken us under his wings and offers the living water from a well that never runs dry. Jesus Christ, the Apostle John says, is the light and life of Men, confess your sins, repent of them, and believe in them today. And Christian, what is our steadfast hope? Well, it's in God's steadfast love, this prayer that he prays at the beginning of verse 10. Oh, continue, as if it couldn't continue. He's, David's asking God to do something he's already doing. He's not going to stop. But David knows our condition and the condition of this world. He says, God, for those to come, continue your steadfast love to them. So let's just push all of our hopes into the steadfast love of God toward us, to his loving, 
kindness. The road of Psalm 36 is one of remarkable contrast, leading us through the pitch black night of sin, but into the warm, life-changing, sin-destroying, eternity-transforming light of God's loving kindness. Perhaps no other highway in the Psalms covers so much ground in just 12 little verses, but if we walk this road, exploring both the reality of sin and the bright truths of who our God is, it leads us right to the Lord Jesus himself, who is the perfect, unchanging, eternal expression of God's loving kindness, a life laid down to ransom us, with arms outstretched upon the cross, the greatest gift there ever was of loving kindness. Let's pray. Father, help us to war against our sin, and I pray for those who are still trapped in it. I pray that today the light of Christ would shine so brightly you would bring salvation and life. I pray to us who still war against sin that we would take it seriously. And that we would look to your love as, as a refuge and as the only place that has power to conquer death and sin and the grave. And help us to live in the good of your love toward us. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.